Welcome to the Heron Outlet. I am Ian Hest. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. And guys, what a week. Uh, a, a lot has happened. Um, let's first start. I want, I want to really start with the Darren Powell interview that we got the chance to do earlier this week, where we, we got the opportunity to really be have an exclusive conversation with him, the first outlet to really ha- have that conversation about what is going on and and with Fort Lauderdale CF because it's been a while we haven't necessarily known throughout this season or or been able as media to be able to talk to them as much and so it was really a wonderful I found it to be an an eye-opening conversation to be able to have that and just whatever you guys felt like that how that conversation went and and what you gleaned from it yeah, I think that it was really cool to see, you know, his thoughts on the young players and how the entire club and not just Fort Lauderdale CF is treating the entire situation with the academy and bringing players up, you know, as a whole. And it was really cool to hear him talk about how connected he is with a lot of other staff within the club and how connected from top to bottom the club is when discussing these younger talents and even some of the older talents that are performing on Fort Lauderdale CF and how they're going to arise to the occasion when they have the opportunity to um, and make their way through the ranks all the way up to the first team eventually. I think it was really cool to see you know, how connected the club is, how passionate Derek Powell is um, about helping these young players progress in their early careers. Uh, and I'm excited for, you know, not just Fort Lauderdale CF for the rest of the season, but for the future to see all these young kids come up through the ranks from the U12s, the 14s, the 16s. I mean, that's where they want to get their talent from. They're not going to make any more Servando Carrasco signings, right? They're going to want to bring in players from their own system, which is going to be really, really cool uh, for the long term um of this club and and not just for Fort Lauderdale, it's going to go all the way through to the first team at some point. So it got me really excited for these young prospects that I don't even know the names of. And the fact that he was able to do that, it was really inspiring. Alex, he talked about uh, at one point about uh, San Antonio and what that meant to him. And I thought that that was like really prescient, really touching that, that he recognized the difference between a standalone club and one that's trying to build through up, up until what he's trying to accomplish. He, he seemed to really understand what that's like. And now with the news today of I may be going up to uh, the first team, which who, who, who will probably play uh, tomorrow against uh, New York Red Bulls. Uh, just understanding that I wanted to ask you about, because you've been really at the forefront of this, uh, of him and his journey and, and what his development has been like. So wanted to ask you just quickly about that. Yeah. Um, I'm not shocked that Ame got called up. He's been playing really well for Fort Lauderdale. So to see it finally become uh semi-official cause it's only a short loan. It's a glimpse into the future and I'm excited to see what he can do tomorrow. Um, about your point about San Antonio, I think, there's a balance. There's a balance that Darren Powell needs to that ha, that he has found with Fort Lauderdale between it being some, you know, a professional where you know some of the younger prospects can get minutes versus you know some of the older guys on other USL League One teams. You know, playing. You know, this is their livelihood. They're professional players, so it, it's really interesting how Powell has found that balance between developing players, bringing them up from the U12s, 13s, 14s, and, and so on, and you know, playing against older, uh, grown men in some of, some of these other USL League One teams. So, and that's why, while it's fun to watch Fort Lauderdale CF, at the same time, a lot of fans who you know, want them to win and play good football. You have to understand a lot of these players are still in their teens and developing their game and whatnot. And, you know, while yes, you should, you know, push them to be better. Don't pressure them as if they're, you know, on the first team earning, you know, $3 million a year to essentially do nothing. Uh, You know, it takes time for them to develop and and, uh, get, keep consistencies throughout their game. So uh, yeah, that's a careful reminder to yes, watch Fort Lauderdale CF, but at the same time, you have to remember that, yeah, yeah, a lot of them are young and, and still learning their trade. I wanted to press you on that because I asked him a question about wanting uh, – about how they, they had, you know, a very exciting offense. They have one of – I think the, they're the second highest scoring team in the league. Um, but 
they, they really haven't been able to translate that into wins. And I said, oh, it's so exciting that you have three two games. And and his response was, oh, well, I wish that it was three nil games. And that was a, a little a little bit eye-opening to me because they haven't been able to find a lot of the the success. They're, they're still in this fight. So we, we can't forget that. They're not the top team in USL League One. But we see the talent day to day, and it, and it seems to be there. I'm, I'm just a little curious as to how you took that answer and what you thought with it, Alex. Yeah, about that, I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Darren does want to win, right? So I think, you know, like I said, there's going to be a lot of inconsistencies with some of the players and, and whatnot. So, you know, they do leak a lot of goals. You know, you saw their last game. Uh, I forgot the team that they played, but they it was Union of Omaha. They they lost 4-1. Four, four it, it, it was just a bad game all around. And though uh, Hundal did score that really great goal, it was just a nightmare def- defensively for the team. And they couldn't really get it going on offense. So it, it was just, you know, an unfortunate game all around. But, you know, I think that was an interesting comment from him because, like I said, yes, you want to not pressure these these players too much. But at the end of the day, they're still pushing for a playoff spot and they want to, you know, achieve something with the the the, the, the good season that they've had so far. Austin, when you when you looked at that conversation, I'm curious as to where you found uh, something that from a first team perspective where you could see, hey, this is what we want in the future and not not just looking at what their actually like team success is this year, but what you could see in the future and what you want Inter Miami to have from your perspective on that. It's not even it's not even immediate future for Inter Miami. I, I when I look at this conversation, I think he he drifted a lot of it towards players way down the ranks, um, and, and for the long term goal of what Inter Miami is to become. And, and like I said, they're not going to have any more of these signings for Fort Lauderdale CF like the Servando Carrascos of last season. They're going to be bringing up players through the ranks, and I think if you can keep your talent in-house and develop them the way that you want to, that's going to be the ultimate decider for a good MLS club. You can see it with FC Dallas. Sometimes you they don't have perform at the first team level as much as let's say like the Philadelphia union do, but that's another Academy that you can look to who builds up their players through the ranks. They have a USL affiliate side and they bring them up to the first team. And then they eventually send them off to Europe. If you look at Brendan Aronson or Mark McKenzie or players like that, I think that that is a very, very, good business plan for a club and it will help them on the pitch. Philadelphia has been extremely successful. And I think that that's, they don't want to necessarily fully model it after that. I think they want to have even more than that. Uh, but it's some some teams that you can look at and say, look, this is what they've done. I think that this, the ability in South Florida is there. If we can bring them in and develop them the way that we want to, it will not impact the immediate future of Inter Miami. And they're still going to have to make you know a bunch of offseason moves in 2022, 2023 that aren't really going to be fully having to do with Fort Lauderdale CF, a lot of them will, but for the long term of the club, the U14s, the U16s, the names that we don't know yet, they're going to be playing for Fort Lauderdale CF in those 2022-2023 seasons. 2023 seasons. We look at 2024, 2025, 2026, and yes, that's really far away, but then you're going to be seeing names that you hadn't even heard of but are just born and raised in South Florida and came all the way up through the academy and are going to be starting for the first team. And I think that that is what really excites me about what I heard from Darren Powell. So let's talk about that because uh, obviously the news today that they finally, finally got the extreme hardship uh, review that they had so desperately wanted. And uh, and I'm able because going to be with the team come uh, tomorrow against New York Red Bulls. We'll see how much that short loan is uh, – that was a weird phrasing for me. I, I didn't really understand it, but uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't really, I guess what I'm saying from my point of view is because I know MLS rules and having read the CBA and all of that, that I'm a little bit confused as to how you could have a short term loan like this, but they didn't allow him for the other games to play, but now they are from a league perspective, that's a little bit confusing for me. Uh, But hopefully we get some uh, clarification moving forward. 
nonetheless, he's going to be on the field. I, I think that we all can agree, especially you, Alex. I, I think that we can all agree that he's going to be there. What does that mean for what this defense is going to deal with? Which, mind you, has been a good defense, even though they've had back-to-back defeats like this in, in bad fashion. It, well, I think it's four in a row now. But even though they've dealt with all of this, it, it, it got better throughout this whole process. And it, it, it still, I always go back to it. It just seems to be a scoring goals thing. So does Imevabika help? Like, is that going to make a tangible difference, Alex? Um, I, I think it, he'll make a slight difference, really. You know, you know, it'll take a while, I suppose, for him to get acclimated to the playing style that Neville has uh, implemented. You know, um, he requires his center backs to do uh, very specific things. He likes them to play out the back, be aggressive, but not too aggressive. You know, um, you know, intercept tackles, uh, intercept opposition players, you know, if you can nick the ball off them, etc., but, you know, playing for Fort Lauderdale, I, uh, I've seen uh, Amay Mabika do similar things uh, as that. So I, I don't think the transition will be too difficult for him. Although, I, you know, I am a bit worried about throwing him over the deep end too quickly and then ha- him having, you know, a bad game where, he, where he's scrambling and, you know, it looks a bit awkward. And, you know, I don't want the fans to jump on him if well, he so has a... Can I just jump in on that? Ups, you know? I, I, I want to yeah. jump in on that because that reminded me of Christian McCoon. The first time that we saw Christian McCoon and, and, and first impressions can like feel a lot on that. Um, that, that, that we thought that Christian McCoon was just dead to rights on that, that he wasn't going to figure it out. And he's wound up becoming this amazing, this like really good defender for Inter Miami. And I worry that that might be a similar situation. It, it, yeah, I, I like, you know, Inter Miami, they're playing the Red Bulls and they know they play high press and they don't give you time on the ball. And, and, and you know, Neville even said it in one of his pre-match conferences that, or was it Breck Shea? Breck Shea mentioned that the Red Bulls, you know, there's a way to beat them if you just, you know, play long balls over the top, let them come to you, you know, um, manipulate space, et cetera. I'll explain it later. But, uh, you know, it's definitely possible to beat them. But with, like you said, Ian, I don't want this to be another McCoon situation where May has a bad game. Hopefully he pl- does play well on Saturday. But let's say he does have a bad game. I don't want the fans to jump on him saying, oh, yada, 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 we wasted this pick we wasted his time you know i don't want him to to get you know slated so early even though he's you know this is going to be his first mls game ever but the talent is there it's just you know the the difference between usl league one versus mls level it's 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 a gap there's a gap there and and mabika he's a great talent so i don't want him to play tomorrow and then it go bad but from what i've seen from him i I do think he'll do a a really good job if he does start and 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 make darren powell proud i want to jump in here because i think it's important to note when talking about this mabika call-up or short-term loan whatever you want to call it uh it's coming having to do with injuries and the international call-up of christian mccoon so we have figal potentially out gregory potentially out uh gibbs potentially out and Ujoa probably out um it looks like gregory is probably going to be the only one of the four to come back after hearing that mabika is going to be called up but there is still a possibility that figal and gibbs are called up but we're we're really gonna have to see on that mccoon uh was on the bench for uh venezuela last night i believe uh thursday night that is uh in the the south american qualifiers but when looking at mabika's situation I don't know, you guys would know more than me, but to my understanding, Fort Lauderdale CF is not known for a back five at all, I don't believe. So there's going to be a total shift in what they have done um, between Fort Lauderdale CF and Inter Miami. I remember last season, there was a lot of talk of how they wanted they wanted to emulate the styles between Jason Creases, Fort Lauderdale CF and Diego Alonso's inter Miami. And it's a little different now with Darren, pa- Darren Powell's Fort Lauderdale CF and Phil Neville's inter Miami. It's more about player development rather than system development, which I think is a good way to go. But when you're calling up a player like Mabika, who is, I guess, raw, if you want to say, because he he's coming from NCAA soccer, which is not the, the highest profile thing in the entire world. And then you had third division football in America. And now he's coming up to first division league. That's, extremely physical which i think that he has all the physical abilities to combat that but it's going to be quite the difference 
I totally agree with you guys. We we should not, you know, fully gauge our idea of Mabika in MLS off this first impression that we're going to get because we know the style that New York Red Bulls play. Uh, we don't know what Inter Miami is going to play. I don't know if Phil Neville even has the the players to play in a back five. If if Gibbs and Figal are out. I know there was talk about Breck Shea in the press conference playing center back, but then you have no left wing back because Jovan Jones is still injured, right? So w- what do you what do you really do? I'm kind of expecting a flat back four if Gibbs isn't available. You, you see Breck on the left, you see Mabika and an LGP partnership, and then I'm not really sure what you do on the right side. Hopefully it's Leardham and then Morgan pushing forward, but... If he is to play in a back five, I think it's going to take him time to adjust. He's going to definitely going to have to grow into the game. And within 90 minutes, they're going to see a lot of growth from Abika, which will be exciting to see, but also scary at the first uh, couple of minutes because we know what the Red Bulls like to do. So I think depending on what we hear from these injuries, um, I'm only really, like I said, I'm only expecting Gregory to be to be available. Depending on what we hear, um, Phil Neville said they're all last, last minute uh decisions they're, they're game time decisions so we won't really know until a little bit before awesome. uh, 6 awesome. p.m before, eastern time before we get there i want to touch with you on on that because i, w- I want to talk about your guy uh, you know mabika's alex's guy and i want to talk about you know morgan's my guy and and your guy is indy vasilev you love him and and what he's done you've been very happy with a lot of what he does how much of what he brings to the table but not just that how like his journey overseas and now coming back on loan, how much is that different from what Mabika did? And how much does that impact how he's going to, how Mabika is going to be received in this moment that he's going to have in order to be able to do this? Do you, well, do you get what I'm saying? Like, like how, like yeah, how no, much no, I, is, I, is, I, is predicated on some guy went overseas and is now coming back versus some guy who went through college and now welcome to the big time kid. But think about think about the differences in their environment, right? I mean, Indy Vasilev is, is playing – in an Aston Villa uh, with with that club. And that's totally different than playing for the Kentucky Wildcats and a third division team in America. And I think that that's kind of where when we talked about Vasilev coming in, we didn't know much about him, but we were excited for him because we knew about his youth prospects with the U.S. national team. And then we knew that he was with a high profile club in England where he had time, uh, I believe, with the U23s or their like second Premier League team, whatever it was. But that's still a high level of football um, on the English ladder. Here, third division in America is – I don't even know what you're talking about if you're trying to make a comparison to England, but it's not even really close. And I think that – I'm not trying to knock what Mabika has done at all. I just think that, like you said, Alex, the talent is there. We know the talent is there. He performs on a weekly basis for Fort Lauderdale. It's just he's going to have to get adjusted and improve really quickly if he's going to have to if he's going to want to make his mark within the first ninety minutes of Red Bulls New York match. It's just going to have to happen if Miami want a chance to succeed. If he's playing next to let's say a a, a broken back line of Breck Shea and LGP next to him in, in the three center back formation, right? I think that the difference between Vasilev and and Mabika is is massive, but it's not to say that Mabika doesn't have all the talent and potential in the world to be a good center back, and that's why we need to relax our expectations for what we're about to see uh, come Saturday night, and, and it's a lot different than the Vasilev situation because I think he's gotten a lot more time to improve on his own game. I believe he's either around the same age or a little older, but he's been playing at a higher level for longer than Mabika, so that was, that was the difference for me um, in terms of those two guys. Okay, let's talk about Saturday night because Phil Neville made no qualms about it, I think, earlier this week. Uh, this is a big one. This is this is the heavyweight fight. Uh, they, they firmly feel like this is going to be the one that decides the rest of the year. And they, they, uh, they were very I, – I don't know if I've heard Phil that fired up as I texted us in, in our chat, uh, he, he really felt like this is the, the way through the future, through the rest of the season. And that was also, it was invigorating. It was, you, you could feel it. It was also a little bit scary because, 
okay, it's like a little bit of Ted Lasso make or break time, right? Like there, there was a lot of, of that involved in it. And I, I just wanted to get your all initial thoughts on first off what he said. And second off, if you felt that this was, that this is the seminal moment, that this is the time that they need to make this happen. And if you believe, like I made the Ted Lasso analogy, if you believe this is going to happen, if you don't believe you're going to, spoiler alert, wind up being Nate. Like, is, is this going to be what happens for the rest of the year? And how do we feel about it heading in? Because I'm conflicted. I'm going to be honest. I'm very conflicted. I think that this is almost not almost. This is make or break for for Inter Miami season. I think that this game, if you don't at least get a point, and I don't even know if a point is enough, you have to get three for almost all the rest of your games. Like that, it's it's getting to that point where Miami have to win games, have to have to win. If you don't start off against the Red Bulls, then I don't know if it's ever going to kick off. Right, that that'd be five losses in a row, and I just don't know if you can really turn it turn it around after that. I know they've done it once with the six losses and turned it around to a really good win streak or good run of form, but this is a lot different. This is you know dying down to the end of the season and you're running out I of time from, right you're just running out of yeah, time it's, you're just running out of time you're in i don't remember how many games we're at inter miami are at now but you're getting you're getting close to that 34 number to, to end the season so it's this is do or die this is the game that you have to win and you have to continue winning and build off this game and it sucks that all the injuries are happening and you're having to play a usl league one player but it there's no no one's no one's feeling bad for you it, the results are going to be the results but i i wanted to touch on phil neville's press conference because a lot of what I heard and a lot of how he swayed the conversation was about the mental toughness of the team. The question he was going to ask the player was, do you believe that you can make the playoffs? And it was all about belief at the end of the day. It was belief, uh, you know, the mental toughness. And I, there was another point that I was going to make, but I totally lost it. Um, I think Phil Neville needs this team to back him. And I think that if the players don't back Phil Neville and they are not in any sort of the sense enable to believe that they're able to do the job, then they're, they're not going to do it. And I feel Neville believes that too. Phil Neville said, if I don't have players that are wanting to compete or they don't think that they can do it, or they don't believe in us, then they're one, not going to get picked. I believe he said that he said, they're just not going to get picked. And, and, and two, you know, you have to pick the freshest team, not only on a physical level, but mental level. And it was a lot about, there was a lot about mental freshness. And I believe he took a lot more recovery days than actual training days leading up to this match because he needs to get the team in the right mindset. And I think that that is extremely, extremely important um, going into a game of this magnitude. And it might sound silly. It might sound, you know, no, you like don't sound silly at thinking. all. I wish, I wish that like really like that people appreciated and understood the importance I, of I, this game. Like this that's is why it. when I, this is, we're, yeah, we've reached the precipice. When I was, when I was listening to the presser, most of the tweets that I, I, I put out that were quotes from Phil Neville was, about the belief, I, I can read some of them. You can go on any of our Twitters. I believe, Alex, you, you put them out too. A lot of the Phil Neville quotes were about belief, were about motivation, were about mental freshness. And, and that is kind of where this team needs to go because I think the talent is there. They have not brought it all together, but if they all believe in one another, then that that's all you can really hope for at this point. And like I said, it might sound silly, it might sound childish, but what else do you really have to go off of? You're, you're, you're four losses in a row. You're going into a match where you got blown out the last time you played this team. You're in a playoff push where it looks like you're down and out. All you have to do is believe at this point. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But if they put up a fight, then that's something to go on for next season. But, I mean, it's it's really hard situation to gauge. Obviously, we're all hoping they can get the job done. Uh, but it's going to be a really tough one. I know we'll talk about the match later. And yeah, I I was listening to Neville and he was basically saying, you know, he was pleading with his players more or less that, you know, they have to perform at this point. So, you know, he sounds, you know, like a man that, you know, he, he wants to win. He wants this win really badly. So, you know, the, the fact that, you know, he's in press conferences trying to, you know, you know, get his players to perform, you know, it just shows that, you know, this is desperation mode for Inter Miami and, while Neville's job doesn't depend on them, you know, making the playoffs because Jorge Mas and, you know, Beckham have already said that, that, that this is their guy, they're going with him long term. You know, you know, both, you know, the players need to step up at this point. And like Austin said, while, 
you know, you can have all this talent on this roster, but if you don't believe in each other, it's it, it's not going to go over well. And I think there's a really telling quote from Breck Shea where he mentioned that, you know, this locker room has been the most together it's ever been this season, which is uh, saying something because, what, there's seven games left in the season and it's just crazy to think about how it took That was shocking to me, Alex, that, that me, this me, is the yeah. time when they when they, they felt the most together off the field now? I mean, like, it happened now? What what, what has been going on the whole year? Yeah, it, it just it, – it's a weird situation. And, yeah, this team I, – I already wrote about it, how they're missing, you know, that sort of creativity in in the midfield. That's part of the reason why Egoine has dropped so deep. Uh, and, and, you know, Robbie's forced to play as a number nine because Rodolfo or, you know, anyone, any central midfielder, Jay Chapman, Blaze. Heck, even Gregory, there's not just enough creativity there. You know, Federico Egoin can do it, but, you know, he's coming off a knee injury and he's older. So, yeah, there's just a lot of holes on this roster and Neville's working with what he's got. And, it, you know, the way this roster is built, it's it didn't it didn't do Diego Alonso any favors. It's not doing Neville any favors. So right now, in Miami, just need to ride the wave and, you know, make the playoffs for what they have right now because, you know, this is it. This is, you know, game time. It's... It's ride or die time. It's crunch time for Inter Miami. And if they are going to make the playoffs, that's you know, it, tomorrow is where you you start winning. Austin, let's have this locker room talk discussion, which is one that I really don't like to have because I've been in locker rooms before, and you you, you I, I've been on both sides of this. You don't really ever know what's going on in those discussions. You never really know what what that locker room is feeling, who likes who, and it, it never really paints the whole picture to, uh, to talk about what is going on. But the one thing that was completely clear was this has been an issue throughout the season. And Maybe that's a poor job on our part that we weren't able to talk about it. But this clearly, at least from my perspective, my opinion, this is only conjecture on my part. Uh, that was palpable. That felt like a team that that has some people that that aren't getting along and they're trying to figure it out. And, and every workplace has that. Every family has that. That's not to say that that's not fair, but it is to say that it does exist in this environment. And it does say that perhaps because they were so strong in their language about it, that it has been hurting results recently with this four game losing streak. So I don't want to say that like people not liking other people is responsible for any result. I don't think that that's the way sports works, but I am saying that like, how important is it that this team starts liking each other each individually and that they're able to communicate and they're able to have these good healthy conversations that they're able to come together to to recognize what they're about to embark on this difficult task that we are asking of them that that the fans are asking of them and and yet that they need to put differences aside and and start to figure out a way to get towards this goal i'll i'll start off by saying this i think that it's a lot easier to have this specific conversation when the team is in a situation like this with the tasks that they're up against and also the run of form that they have been in. Because I don't think that anybody, including us and any other media that, that that's covering the team or anybody who can derive any quotes, whatever it is, anybody who's covering the team is going to have a conversation like this at this time. When you go back to that 10 or 11 game stretch where they only had one loss to NYCFC and they got themselves in fifth place. We didn't talk about it. We, yeah. we, we didn't talk about it, right? We, because you're, you're, there's no hints or signs of it because the team is winning. And that's why winning is so important in sports because it just it boosts morale. Winning, winning is everything. Winning at the end of the day is, is everything to a football club, to any sports team, to a manager, everything that there is about it. Winning, winning sets the tone um, going forward. Now, 
it's in times like this where you find out about your team. It's in times like this where you find out about who's committed. And I think that's, uh, that's why Phil Neville came out to the press conference and literally told us as media, I'm going to go back into the locker room and say, hey, do you think to every single one of the players, hey, do you think that we can make the playoffs? Because that, that's important. That's really important to note because I, I think that he needs to get a gauge on who's going to be out on the field in a do or die moment. And I, I'm not too big on picking apart who likes who and who doesn't like who it's for. I, I don't care if you I could I could hate the person next to me if I'm playing next to them. But as long as we can play well together and we have a connection that with a ball at our feet, that's really all that matters. Personally, that's how I see it. Um, I, I know a lot of people I know personal relationships matter and a lot of people um, base a lot of it off of that. But for me, it's can we put a connection together with the ball at our feet? And I don't think that Inter Miami have done that in the last couple of weeks. And that's part of the reason why, obviously, they're losing. I think a team cohesion when on the field in between the lines is a lot of why it's a lot of what we've talked about is why, why they have not been too successful Uh even going back to last season, it just doesn't seem like they have clicked. They didn't click well on offense in the Portland game or even in the Atlanta game. Defensively, they strung a little bit together, but I'm, I don't want to pick too much personally on the locker room talk because I, I think that yes, it can be important, but at the end of the day, if you can have an understanding on the field and get results, then if you can have a conversation about it with a one good run of form, but with a bad run of form, you can have a different conversation. I think that that kind of just, I don't know. It's yeah, but like too Alex, easy to no, I know. But Alex, like, how do you, how do you make friends if people if people aren't getting along? I mean, I do. I, I mean, like, I I am a person that thinks that this stuff matters. I do think that you decide who you're going to pass to if you think that that per if you have confidence in that person, if you enjoy being around that person you are okay with them succeeding over your own self. So I do think to a certain level, this does matter. I understand that Austin thinks the other way, but like, how how do you mend these things? If, if, if that's happening and again, we don't know if it is, but it sounded like it is. And that was, I mean, to hear that that Breck Shea is the person, all due respect to Breck Shea, but to hear that he's the most liked person in the locker room, I mean, you have three designated players that are being paid a lot of money to be here, and you have a lot of other very high-talented players, Lewis Morgan, Gregory, LGP, Figal. I mean, the list goes on and on. The fact that Breck Shea, all due, again, all due respect to Breck Shea, he should not be the person that everybody wants to see first thing in the morning. And so the fact that he is like is telling in and of itself, how much does that actually matter? Um, a lot personally, I think if you're not getting to get, uh, getting, uh, if they're not getting on together off the pitch on the pitch, it's going to be a mess. Camaraderie does matter. All due respect to Austin. I think if, if I'm not in tune with my teammate personality wise, there's going to be a disconnect there. Uh, as far as the likability, this is something that's been going on since last season. You know, Will Trap, when he was leaving the team, I believe he gave an interview and he basically said, you know, this is a group of individuals and into going into 2022, it's still an issue. And what's the common denominator? Who are the same players that are from or who were in that locker room last year and who are in this locker room this year? the DPs for the large majority. And I'm not saying that, you know, Blaze, Egoin, and Pizarro are, are unlikable guys, but I have heard things specifically from just people in uh, reading and in and around the club that, you know, Gonzalo, uh, you know, you can even see it on the pitch sometimes. Gonzalo is, you know, when he's not getting the ball, he can be a little, you know, demanding of his teammates and aggressive and, you know, wanting more. So th- that definitely does have, you know, an impact. Let's say your your best player, he's he's a bit irritable and he's, you know, just moping around and doing that. As someone playing on that team, I'm well, I'm gonna slump my shoulders too, because if my if the best player on the team is doing that, then well, you know, we've got no chance and that reverberates throughout the team. And I'm not I'm not trying to blame any specific player. You know, they can play better, tactics can be better, yes, but at the end of the day, if there's no team camaraderie, they're not going to be on the same page tactically, mentally, or uh, even physically. And I've I've played soccer, I've played team sports before. It's 
it does it does affect the team and and you know and we've seen it in this this losing streak where you know too many of these players try to play hero ball and do too much by themselves and not look for a teammate or or, or try to help out a teammate and you know and listening to phil neville in these pre-match conferences he looks visibly he's pleading he's basically you know be more ruthless have some more shots on goal you know play for each other and he's been screaming that all season and it's it's frustrating as someone who cover as people who cover the team you know we see it from the press box we see it from our tv that you know this is a it's been a reoccurring issue and you know they're not going to fix it this season because you know the transfer windows closed and the playoffs are coming but it's just been something from you know when Diego Alonso was here now Phil Neville has inherited it it's just been this you know why isn't Inter Miami why aren't their players getting along why aren't they you know they are the highest paid they're the highest paid team in the league I gotta double check that but they've got one of the highest wage bills in the league and they you are. would think that you're, two you're plus correct. two. They are. They are. Yep. You, you would think that two plus two equals four, but you know, just because you throw money at an issue doesn't mean that you'll be good. You know, compared to some other teams like the Colorado Rapids, where they are nowhere near Inter Miami, but they they look like an MLS Cup playoff team, and it's it's very it's frustrating to watch because you know during that unbeaten streak, you can see that you know this team is capable of playing good football. I don't know what happened between you know that Toronto three one win where we basically scored all four of the goals get a Kieran Gibbs own goal versus you know that beat down versus Nashville and then the Red Bulls it's it's a very Jekyll and Hyde ish team and I don't want to maybe it comes down to you know just per you know like I said the DPs or just players not really believing in themselves anymore you know that Toronto game where McCoon scored the penalty that could have been a game they easily lost and I do believe that's where you know, Miami started to slip a little in terms of that that winning streak. You know, Toronto that game wasn't it was not fun to watch at all. They got by by the skin of their teeth, but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a peculiar thing, and it's been a reoccurring issue from last season and now into this season going to twenty twenty two. Maybe next year when we bring when the club brings up Fort Lauderdale guys, you know, maybe that'll change. I know Neville's talked about Indiana Vasilev, you know, him being this extra, you know, ray of sunshine, basically just being energetic uh, on the practice pitch and, you know, bring that energy. Maybe that'll change with, you know, six or seven of these Fort Lauderdale guys coming in. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just a reoccurring issue. And, you know, there's a lot to break down about it, but, you know, at the end of the day, Miami just need to just, just win. Like Al Davis said, just win, just win. Basically. I, I want to, kind of allude to a point that you made a lot of what you were talking about were or was the the shrugging of the shoulders on the field in game time or or the the lack of chemistry on the field or lack of cohesion and that's that's where I draw the difference between locker room talk and on the field talk and if they can't find it on the field then that's what matters that is what matters the most. And I think that that, because that's what really ultimately decides the results is what you do on the field. Pizarro and Gonzalo Higuain do not have to be friends off the pitch. They don't need to go to top golf together. They don't need to get, you know, Cuban coffee together. They don't have to do any of that together, but I need them to link up from time to time as a number 10 and a number nine, the two highest, two of the highest paid players in the league to score goals, right? That, that, that's what they're there to do. They're not there to, to go and sit down and, and go to, you know, Biscayne Boulevard with each other and have a night out on the top. I, we don't need that, right? The team cohesion inside of the lines is a problem. And I think that that is something why, why the attack, let's say just for example, I think Phil Neville was saying in the press conference, we need to be more ruthless. Our attackers need to score more goals. You have to be better in that front, but outside of the pitch, this is where I kind of push away the locker room talk because I don't really think that those two directly translate, but I do agree that these guys, not that they're not getting along on the field, but they are not on the same page a lot of the time when they're on the field. And that's Austin, the problem me, for me. Let me, let me, let me push back on you on this. And I, I want to, I want your answer to this because he, here's where I, I think that it does matter. You saw Phil Neville kick that bench. We all saw it. That was a visceral reaction. That was an emotional reaction. That was not someone, he would not do that if he thought, okay, like, should I kick this bench or not? He was mad. 
which tells me that there's clearly something in the locker room there. It's just something's happening. And again, I'm I'm not I am not trying to like cast aspersions or anything like that. But you don't react that way if if you're if you're like calm, cool, and collected. You just don't. That's that's sort of Let where me, I see this conversation. Oh, you have to understand that that is a as a manager, I think that that is almost normal i think that his reaction was very not necessarily dramatic but it was all of that is completely fair but let's let me just say this this is not the first time that that's happened this season and it did get coverage a little bit if we go back i believe to the 3-2 win against fc cincinnati when pizarro missed an absolute sitter and gazal higuain ended up winning the game but remember that reaction from phil neville that pizarro got after missing i mean Maybe it wasn't directly towards Rodolfo Pizarro. It was just frustration and anger. And I think that there was a lot more that happened in this Portland match that was built up frustration. And I I think that I'm okay with seeing that from a manager. And I don't think that it alludes to anything other than that. I am too. I just think think that it shows that they are, are having these emotional moments that that we're not seeing because it's very easy to get it all together when you're in a press conference and a little harder when when the moment is coming when you think you get the equalizer that's all i'm saying when you think you get the equalizer Uh, and deservedly so that you should have that and you don't get it it's a little harder to to box that up and keep that inside of course 100 percent but at that, that's what I'm saying. It's a high-profile, high-pressure situation where playoffs are on the line, and it could be the matter of a draw and a loss, a one-point difference in the standings. Carranza should have had a goal, right? Like, fully should have had a goal. And rightfully so, Phil Neville was fuming. And, and like I said, it wasn't the first time we've seen this season, and I guarantee you it's not going to be the last time within these next seven matches where the pressure is going to continue to build and get more and more intense. So... I I'm not reading into it too much personally. And I think that it can be read into. I think that there is an ability to read into it because it does, you know, it, it's an emotional time for this club. It is a fully emotional time. Not only are our are, are players jobs on the lines, you can have coaches jobs on the lines. You can have everybody's job on the lines that in all this pressure to make the playoffs is, is kind of what you want at the end of the day. And I believe Phil Neville even talked about the owners wanting success within this football club, and they need to deliver on that front. They need to believe and have to be able to deliver on that front because that's what the owners want. The owners want the success. So I think that, oh man, I, it's I personally I'm not reading into it too much. I, I actually like it from Phil Neville. I really do. I, I think that that's what I want from a manager. Um, and, and I hope that you know if he is to stay, Me which too, I, I'm kind of expecting. Just a different perspective. No, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, okay. no, and I, yeah, yeah. I, it's it's something that you want to see, um, as long as it's you know civil, at all times, of course. But I, man, I I think that it's okay for this stuff to happen. And I personally am not reading into it too much, uh, but go and watch that press conference and make your own like judgments guys, because it was really good. Like it was, it was awesome. Like it was, it was, it was a really good interview. Like Ian said, um, Phil Neville was extremely fired up intense, talked a lot about belief and, and mental toughness and all that kind of stuff. And um, you go watch it and, and like, you can make your own assumptions, but that, that personally me, I'm not reading too much into I, it. I, I just know that it. this guy, it was, it was good for me. Like I felt. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. You could feel, and I was on, I wasn't even there. I was on zoom and I'm sitting there in, in my desk and I'm just like, this is good. This is good stuff. And I'm tweeting away and making sure everybody sees all this content because I thought Phil looked inspired almost. And yeah, going off your point in that press conference, uh, we talked about it earlier on the pod, how, you know, Neville was saying, you know, there's players, you know, do you want to make the playoffs? He was talking about, you know, their attitudes and, and whether or not they have the drive to be able to basically haul Miami over that playoff line. And he mentioned something about, you know, you know, players, you know, playing, you know, not really caring or maybe players playing for contracts, you know, it was just all of it, you know, go watch the press conference, definitely go do that. But all of it, it it sounded very, you know, it's do or die time, you know, I will pick the players that want to be here, basically. And, you know, that's, that's telling. And, you know, you you could hear the frustration and the, the, you know, the want in his voice, He, he wants, you know, to win so badly. And sometimes that, you know, 
you know, sometimes the players don't necessarily do what he wants tactically. And you, even earlier in the season, you saw when Matuidi and Pizarro and Iguain, they were benched for, what, a couple of games just to, you know, get Carranza and Chapman and, and Vasilev some game time. And I, while Inter Miami didn't necessarily play better or worse, it, it showed that Neville, he's not afraid to say, hey, look, if you're not putting an effort, I'm going to bench you. And in Saturday's game, Saturday's game, yeah, you know, it could, it, it it's, it, I feel like it's it's like another situation like that where he wants the best players, you know, he wants the players who are the most passionate right now to go out and and play and try to make the playoffs. So we can discuss this all day, basically, because it's just been, you know, something so prevalent with this club and, and you know, players, you know, not, maybe not getting along as best they could and, you know, maybe not giving as much effort as they could. So, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a. You know, it's a it's a puzzling topic because, you know, we can't mind read, but we can definitely see, you know, body mannerisms and 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 whatnot. But, yeah, Saturday's game is going to be it's going to be very important. They they just need to win somehow. But whatever it is, you know, now we even talked about it, you know, just shoot, just shoot. If you're in and around the box, just shoot, you know, score a goal, because at this point, you know, they're not ruthless enough. They're not you know, just a lot of things that, that are going on. And it, yeah, just sitting back and watching, you know, it, you know, you want them to do more, but you know, at, at this point it, it's do or die time for them. So let's talk about Saturday and New York Red Bulls is a, a large task that is looming and, and going to really impact basically the rest of, of this team's year. Uh, what do you guys see it being? Let, let's start with tactics and, and who do you throw out there to start and, and how do you, how do you want to see it go? Before, before Alex gets into this, I'm going to say one thing, cause Ian, you pointed this out. I do like Indiana Vasilev, get him on the field. That's it. Yes. Yes. He, yes, he hasn't yes. been on the field. Like, they, like I, I don't understand yes, yes, why yes. He, he he's not being put out there. Like, yes, the dude. offense yes, is struggling. Dude, all of the above. He, he's the offense has been struggling. He we talked about how he provides that spark. Phil Neville has said he provides a spark. Why is he not getting any playtime? Is there a fitness issue that we're not seeing? Is there an injury issue that we're not seeing? I think in the end of Asalev, even if it's 60th minute sub, that would please me. Honestly, it would please me, but I haven't no, even gotten he that. He needs to start, man. He needs to I, get I, on no, the I, field. And I, and I think like, that he needs to start, but I would be, at this point, my expectations are so low, I'd be pleased with a 60th minute substitution or something like that. I just, I think Vasilev adds a different layer to this attack. And I think a lot of the combination that we saw from him and Lewis Morgan in a, in a 5 2 3 was amazing on the right side. And now that they've shifted to the 5-3-2 and you have two strikers and Pizarro's off to that right midfield side, you don't have the same link up. I don't think that Pizarro and, and Morgan have the same connection. We saw them struggle in and around the box um, a lot of the do, time in the Portland match. It was, it was right way, in front of me. Do you, it's view, it, do you view it that way? Maybe maybe this is a question for Alex, but I don't really see it that way. I, I, I know that you always talk about the five at the back, but I guess I don't really see it that way that they're playing five at the back, that it's really a back three and they're just relying. Like, I don't see Lewis Morgan as a defender. I, I see him in a role where he where he has responsibility right. no, no, back I, there. Yeah, yeah, but, I agree with but, that. And so Maybe I, my, I know, my terminology I you, might just be wrong, but... Yeah, yeah. Just, I, I, I've heard you say week after week about five at the back, and I just don't see it that way. So I guess, I guess maybe, maybe I'm wrong, Alex. Am I misreading this? Am I not seeing? I mean, we, we've talked a lot about like the inversion, how you tilt the, how, how Phil has really tilted the field to go diagonally from, from left to right, and, and that that's been his, and then come back across. I, am I, am I misreading this? Am I not seeing it properly? Uh, no, it's very much a back three. I know the back five connotation, it has, you know, negative uh, feelings around it. You know, the back five can, you know, people can see it as too defensive, but it's very much, you know, a, a three at the back with, you know, Gibbs or Shea or Morgan or Leardon playing as a, you know, an extra winger on the side. Though they do have defensive responsibilities, they'll go back into a, a flat back five four one defensively but yeah it's a back three um uh, but that's also why, let, let's just talk real real fast because because i, I want to yeah. stay on this point 
That's why these mm-hmm. New York teams, the both New York teams, are so bad matchups for Inter Miami because you want to in in that situation you want to get as wide as possible, and they're not able to because those fields are so narrow that they're not able to really push the wings the same way that they would prefer to ideally, right? Uh, yeah, and with Inter Miami, they want to get as wide as possible uh, with this back three. Basically, um, you know, pass wise, you know, there's a lot more progressive angles that take they can diagonal angles that they can um, basically take to hit either you know a winger or a forward. So when Red Bulls press, you know, the center backs do not have time on the ball and they'll force things and then the Red Bulls will win the second ball and then go on the counter. And that's how they ended up being Miami the first time. So with this, this next game inner Miami, they're going to be, they're going to have to be, you know, uber careful in that regard. you know, Brexhay did mention that, you know, once they do beat that press after that, you know, they're free to go and, and, you know, hurt the Red Bulls back line in that regard. Uh, The, the, Three at the back formation, I I do think it gives Miami a lot of flexibility because, well, right now, you know, like I said, it has with, with um, you know, if, you know, the opposition does want to counterattack, there are three at three defenders at the back that can prevent that and two double pivots in that midfield. So, you know, there will be at least four guys back there, you know, preventing uh, a counterattack and one can even push up offensively. And, you know, I just think the formation at the moment, it gives Inter Miami a lot of flexibility. However, these last couple of games, they've not really gotten it together. But against the Red Bulls, um, Neville did mention that, you know, you know, they just have to be a bit more ruthless in the final third and it, it should work. But, you know, these last couple of games, they've they've not necessarily done that. So I can explain this better on, you know, on paper, but um, yeah, it'll, it'll be a, an interesting matchup. You know, they inter Miami played them before. So I do think that Neville and the team will have a better idea of how they, they'll be able to, to beat them. And um, I do think tomorrow's game will be, um, you know, better than the one that they had a, a couple of weeks ago. Austin Red Bulls have kind of eaten inter Miami's lunch over over now almost like a year and a half as we go how much of that do you think is going to play into the feeling of of how how do you line up in this situation what are you going to do knowing that i mean i i go back i think it was 4-1 last year uh, like that that game was was traumatic to a certain extent like that was just a, a mugging and now you're you're in in all of this emotion that we've talked about. You're in this situation with everything that that has presented it here, and it's laid at your doorstep. And you're saying it's now or never. This is not going to work. We are not going to succeed if we don't take care of business in this. How much pressure is that to uh, against someone who I don't, I don't want to call them a rival. I don't think that. New York Red Bulls thinks about Inter Miami any more than Inter Miami thinks about New York Red Bulls outside of whenever they end up on the schedule. But someone that's had your number for for the the entirety of it, and you you find yourself in this situation where you really need to deliver on something that has been a very difficult task in the past. It has it has been a difficult task. I remember that four one game at home last year, not the one that was recently. I don't remember the score of that one. I don't kind of just threw it over there because it was terrible. Uh, but the four, one game from last year was, was awful. I remember that being at home. Um, but Miami did follow up that match with a two to one win with Gonzalo Higuain's first ever goal and only goal in 2020 against the Red Bulls, the two, one win, the free kick in the 81st minute. So if we're going to base this off past performances, I think Gonzalo Higuain could have a little bit of magic in this match. And I think that that's what you need. You need in this match going forward, your DPs to perform. Um, I know we've he mentioned keeps talking about that. Phil, every single week keeps saying, this is the time. This is the time. Yeah, and, the designated but they haven't player done it. He keeps saying it. He keeps saying it week after week. He keeps saying yeah. it. 
he's not letting it die down, which is good. And I think we had a, a decent run of form from Higuain, but now he's only got two goals in the last 10 matches. We had uh, two really good games when Miami was good on the offensive side of the ball from Pizarro, where he had a brace and a 90th minute winner. Um, Matuidi has never really been into the mix, to be honest. But between those two guys, Pizarro and Higuain, that's where the offense is going to have to generate from if they want to be successful against the Red Bulls. And like I said, that the only time they had really been successful, it was a really tight matchup um, in New York and Gonzalo Higuain had hit a, a bit of a magical free kick in the 81st minute to get a winner. And I wouldn't be surprised if this game comes down to a bit of moment of magic like that, or a, a bit of luck being on their side. Cause I think they're going to have to grind it out. We, we know the pressure that the Red Bulls are going to enforce on them. I I'm sure that Phil Neville has learned from his mistake from the last match, and he's going to prepare these guys for for what physicality and pressure and intensity that the Red Bulls are going to bring. Um, so it's going to be a, a pretty pretty grinded out result given the injuries, given McCoon being out uh, on international duty. Good for him, by the way. I want to send him a congratulations. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a tough one, uh, but they just have to be mentally tough as anything uh, to to get a result and keep their, their season alive. Yeah, um, with Pizarro and Iguain, they've never really, they've only, you know, connected um, offensively once this season, which was that Iguain goal against Nashville, where Pizarro laid it off really well and Iguain, uh, you know, scored. So I, I don't want to be negative, Nancy, but to expect them to maybe suddenly turn it on against the Red Bulls, I I just don't think it's going. It's I don't think it's going to happen. They've always struggled to play together. They seem to be on the wrong page. You know, I was tweeting uh, during the Portland game where you know. Robbie, Iguain, and Pizarro were just on three separate pages. One was doing something different, and the other was over there, and it you know just wasn't clicking. And it's 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 frustrating to see from a tactical point of view because you know that they can play well together. So for them to suddenly drop off, it's uh, it, it's it's a, it's just con- it's concerning and and confusing because you know Inter Miami are capable of playing and 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 scoring, but. You know, these last couple of games, they've not been able to do it. And like Austin said, it's going to be a mental thing more than anything. Um, like Neville said, they're just going to have to be ruthless in front of goal. And, you know, if they find themselves in a good spot, don't try to dribble to get yourself an extra yard of space to, to, to get a clean shot off. You know, sometimes you just need to shoot and maybe the keeper spills it. You get the rebound, yada, yada, yada. And tomorrow's game, I, I think it'll be a similar, uh, uh, you know, it'll be a similar type of game where, you know, the Rebels will high press and, and Miami's just going to have to go through that wave. So depending on how the back line looks will be, you know, very telling on how inner Miami does. Cause I, I think if, if it's, if Mobika starts, I, 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 you know, like we said earlier, it could be a bit of, uh, you know, thrown off the deep end, let him get settled in first. But, you know, let's say if it's a back line of, you know, Niche, LGP and Leardom. What do you that think, what do you think it's going to be? What do you think it's going to be? I know that we were, we posted on Instagram. So everybody make sure you check out the Instagram page. Uh, and, and we'll post it on, on Twitter as well. Andres, our producer does a tremendous job of that, uh, of putting all of the graphics together. But what do you, what do you think right now? What do you think it's going to be? Cause I'm not sure at the, like at this moment of recording, I don't know what it'll be. I, I don't think anyone knows because I think a lot I think all of the back line depends on Kieran Gibbs uh, and him being healthy because if Kieran Gibbs is not healthy I think you'll see a shift to a back four um, and if he is healthy uh, the back four consisting of Breck Shea Mabika LGP and Lairdom by the way and if Gibbs is healthy I think you'll see a back five with Morgan and Gibbs out on the wings and a line of defense consisting a, a three a, a three at the back consisting of uh Wait, did you say, I, I, hold on. I just want to understand. You said Gibbs, LG, Gibbs, Mabika, LGP, and Leardom as a back four. No, a back four. If a back four is going to happen, if Gibbs is not healthy, so I would say the back four without Gibbs is Breck Shea, Mabika, LGP, and Leardom. Okay, sorry. If Gibbs is healthy, then I think you'll see three center backs and two wing backs the wingbacks being Morgan and Gibbs and the three center backs being Breck Shea, Mabika and uh, LGP. 
I think that that's a possibility. And maybe instead of Brekshay, you use Leardom, um, and then maybe shift Mabika as to as to left center back role, and then put Leardom in that central center back role where we've seen him before. I think that that's also a possibility and probably more realist. But I'm kind of hoping for this Brekshay center back thing. To be honest, I don't know why, but it got touched on in the press conference, and I'm I'm kind of hoping for chaos. For it. <laughs> exactly, chaos. got to right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think I, I don't think um Neville will deviate from the back three. Even when they were down Figal and LGP, he didn't deviate from from that back three. So as far as you know, uh, maybe hoping for a back four. I, I I don't think that's gonna happen. But I do agree to Austin's point that it, when he does play that back three, it'll be Mabika as that left center back, leared him in the middle because he seems to do better there, which is a bit weird. You know, he's a right center back, right back, and he's done a, a, a decent job as the, the central uh, uh, defender there. So it'll be Mavika left, uh, Leardom in the middle, and LGP on that right-hand side. He he seems to do the where, uh, do well, um, you know, just moving up and defensively covering those holes and, you know, all that tactical stuff that people may not want to hear. But, yeah, it'll be that same back three, I think. And I do think that Che will, is, you know, healthy enough to, you know, he'll be healthy enough to play. I don't know about Gibbs. But I think Shea will start as that, as that left wing back, and it'll be Robbie as a left winger, Gonzalo, uh, Pizarro. Although I would, I, well, you'll see our lineups when we post them. But I'd personally start someone like a Federico, just someone who's more creative. Even Vasilev, you know, Pizarro does have his good qualities, and I have argued that we should that the team should push him back a little bit further and play him as an eight because he did super well during that Atlanta match. I, I tweeted about it and I wrote about it. I, I thought it was an interesting tactical. Uh, um, idea for I, feel, Apple, I feel like but, I feel like I feel so silly though because I feel like I've been saying that for a year and a half and I, I, I'm sorry I like I, I need to take like some credit on this because I feel like I've been saying that forever and it's about darn time that, that, that <laughs> that's that's who he is that's what he is and I just wish that, well, that that's, any of, I think that, that that's we could have an honest conversation look. about it yeah, and Rodolfo did start his career as a right back, so he's not a he's not a stranger to having defensive responsibilities. He's just been pushed up further up the field for you know whatever reasons. He's a good goal scorer. He's got good vision, but you know, but he did start his career as a right back, and as it, you know, he progressed through Pachuca and, and Monterey. And, and I was going to say he, with in Liga MX with those those Diego Alonso teams, you saw an eight role from Pizarro a lot of the time, and for some reason when he came over, they're like, "Here's my number." 10 Pizarro even Tata Martino for the Mexican national team played him as a left winger from a lot of the time remember when he got called up in any of this yeah it's it's, yeah he has proven himself I mean there he has probably exceeded expectations on the attacking side when he was in Liga MX as a number eight right and that's kind of maybe where he was trying to make that transition because we all know he came to Inter Miami to get more exposure to try and move over to Europe I think that that's almost done and dusted um but that I guess would have helped him in his process to do that because then he's more of a focal point of an attack and that would draw an attractiveness to him. And I think that that's kind of where it um, derives from, but yeah, I, I fully agree there. There's no, but it's, a, it's the to... same thing as it's the same thing as playing Matuidi as the eight role that he was a, a, against uh, Portland. Like that didn't make any sense to me either. He was he was pushing too, or was it Portland? I he forget. Was, one one of the two. High it in, was, um, he was just pushing too high up the field. Get him was, back. It was Atlanta where he was playing this Metsalo, this Metsalo role where it, in soccer, there's an Italian soccer thing. There's a thing called a Metsalo where you line up in the midfield and you basically play as an extra winger. And that's what Matuidi was doing uh, versus Atlanta. And he nearly scored, but, you know, it, it didn't quite work out. It's interesting. I can, I can link it, you know, later. But Matuidi uh, doesn't even have the 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 ability to track back like Pizarro does. I think that we've seen a lot more recoveries from Rodolfo Pizarro when he goes in and attacks and then has to track back than Matuidi. And when Matuidi gets up there, he gets caught out 90% of the time. As for Pizarro, I see him all the way back in the box at times making those recoveries. And if you look at his recovery numbers in the last couple of matches where he was playing in those roles, they've been really good. good. Yeah, they've been really good. So that's, that's an interesting topic to have if Pizarro is to stay with Inter Miami for the future. We'll talk about it another time, but guy, but I have to close with this, Austin. You got the opportunity to go to Atlanta. You got the opportunity to go to Portland and uh, experience that experience that fan culture and everything. We were so excited to have you. You were sending videos the whole time, and I, and I hope that it was a wonderful journey. 
just just what your thoughts were on uh, the entirety of your travels and how Atlanta and Portland compared to the Miami experience and what that means and, and what Miami fans are like compared to other MLS fans moving forward. Well, I'll start with Atlanta and say the fact that they put 43,000 people in a midweek game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium is phenomenal. Um, That is a lot of people. Uh, 43,000 is a lot of people for an MLS match, especially a midweek match in the regular season. Um, So kudos to Atlanta. Those fans really know what they're doing. That stadium is amazing. I know it's not a soccer-specific stadium, but... I'm sure they're very happy to call it home. And for the press box, they had an ice cream booth. So I was very happy about that. Um, then going into the, the the Portland one, that's the one that intrigued me the most at the beginning of the season. And I wanted to see what that, that culture, that soccer culture was like. And let me just say the fans were the most hospital, hospitable fans that I have ever encountered ever in any sport any away day anything they were amazing i was walking down just just in the stadium there was a guy who came up to me he said hey you guys are from miami you're like yeah yeah." he goes oh let's take a selfie together this is a welcome to portland selfie he's like enjoy the match and he took a selfie with me and was like and i guess i'm sure it's on social media somewhere i haven't found it but things like that kind of just add to the experience and I really enjoy uh, soccer-specific stadiums in the United States. I think I, I think that they're really special, and I think that we need more of them. Uh, and that really drew me to Portland, and it was really cool to see. I, I know they had a good attendance there, and they also, uh, during the match, on, on a more serious note, um, the fans in the supporters section, uh, I'm not really sure. I think they call them Timbers Army. Um, they were spoken out about the events that occurred in the NWSL. Um, and I won't get too touchy on that because it's a very sensitive topic, but I thought that that was really special. Uh, I think they did it around the 15th or 20th minutes or so. Um, so that was about protecting the players. And I thought that that was really important. It was really cool to see a fan base come together and do something like that. And I know that it already is starting to help and create change. A lot of stuff has happened. It got a lot of coverage. So uh, that that was really cool to see, uh, and I'm happy that, and th- that's that's a topic that everybody can come together on, right? You, you would hope that everybody could come together on and try and create change and and reform um, some of the terrible stuff that has been happening. Um, and I am all for protecting the NWSL players and even other uh, staff that are are women as well. So that was cool to see uh, from from the Timbers Army. So kudos to them. Uh, but yeah, it was it was an amazing experience. Portland's awesome. Downtown was really cool. I saw a lot of the Inter-Miami players there. Nick Marsman and Federico Higuain really struggled getting on one of those uh, scooters uh, at one point. It was really funny to watch. Um, ran into a I couple loved, of the I loved communications guys. That, that, Dude, that, it, it, was, <laughs> it was unbelievably funny. I was walking down. It was so obvious. <laughs> it, was, it was so, so funny. And we ran I, – I know – I think uh, I saw Breck Shea at some point, and they were all just around there having a good time walking down the city and a lot of camaraderie there. So that, that was really cool. I think they had a team dinner or something. So, yeah, it, it was really funny. It was an awesome experience. It was cool to see the players in that, in that element, not just on the field. Um, I had a really good time, and I know that we'll have some video out that where I documented a lot of the stuff that happened. So that will be really cool. Make sure you stay tuned on the Heron Outlet uh, YouTube channel. She is Alex Winley. He is Austin Robillard. For our producer, Andres, I am Ian Hest. You can join us here next week. We will have the regular pod a little bit delayed this week because of that very special conversation that we had earlier this week with the head coach of Fort Lauderdale CF, Darren Powell. And uh, it's a really great conversation. Make sure you subscribe and like the YouTube channel. Uh, A lot of wonderful content that we're able to uh, share with you and and more and more exciting things to come. Uh, and, And we hope that you join us here on the Heron Outlet this time next week. 